This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. Yeah, I'm, I never really struggled with a, the anger or the bitterness towards God about the cancer. Um, I, he broke me a long time ago of feeling like God owes me anything. I think a lot of people, especially in the realm of, of addiction, um, they feel ripped off by God in life, and they're angry with the Lord. And that was me prior to my conversion for many, many years. Um, the I think the result that I hope continues with me through this, and it is very, it's a kind of like a high level right now, is just what you said: having a compassion for people, having a patience, a renewed patience for strugglers um, to go through something that you want to get out of but can't find your way out of. Um, is maddening. And the I, I remember it for years prior to my deliverance as an addict and a, and a drunk. I remember hating it, but not believing there was any hope to get away from it. Um, one of the things I, I, I would say, especially if somebody in your audience is, is wrestling, and maybe they do have that in and out of treatment, that you know six months of sobriety and then a relapse, and that's their tale over and over and over again. You know, it's, it's common sense. They're going to hear it in every treatment program. But the, the, the hardest thing for me is I did. I got delivered in a day, August 4th, 1994. I was instantly delivered from drugs and alcohol, never got drunk again, never got high again. And so that happened in an instant. But, but I was still living with my drug dealer. I was still living with a guy like the day before that we're selling narcotics and using narcotics. And I had a six-month lease. And so the hardest thing for me was how am I going to survive in this atmosphere? And I had to make difficult decisions. And I couldn't get out of my lease and I couldn't get out of the apartment, but I could get out of every social situation that I used to engage in that exposed me to that lifestyle. And so literally for me, Trey, the church is so vital because the church, the thing about addicts is they can bond around their addiction and their misery. That's what, what I did. All my friends were as miserable as I was, but we were family. You know, those were my bros. Those were, you know, my friends. That, that was family. I would have gone to the grave for some of those guys. And then all of a sudden I realized if I don't separate myself, if I, if I keep hanging casually and I don't throw up the parameters, then it's going to be a matter of time that I will go right back to the thing that God delivered me from. And so if, if there are some that are continuing to relapse who are still hanging on to associations and people and relationships— you're going to have to make a break with those. You're going to have to say goodbye to some people so that you can salvage your life and step into that thing that God has for you. And so if I contributed anything in walking in victory, it was that through the grace of God, I was set free from the addictions long enough to recognize my part is to come out from among them and be separate. And it about killed me. And I took it, man. My, my friends called me a Benjamin, I mean, a, a, a traitor um, and, you know, a sellout and mocked my Christianity and all of that. But it was life or death for me. So I had to get free. Yeah, that's awesome. I preach that all the time. And we, we do something called a biopsychosocial whenever someone first comes in through the doors of treatment. And that, that is where it's a substance use assessment, ultimately, that, that you um, gather all this information. And they've got a section on there where it is list the treatment center you've been to, you know, when it was, how long you stayed there. And then it's got this little box over there that says reason for relapse. 
and it is normally a broken record of went back to old friends or went back to old girlfriend that's still getting high or boyfriend or whatever. So just to hear you say with the with the grace and the strength that God gave you, and He did this supernatural act in your life, and and then using that and recognizing that you had to come out from among them is is huge, you know. And I think it's you know one of if not the most critical piece of of somebody sustaining or uh, walking out or walking into sustainable long-term recovery. Well, one of the reasons that I think God's hand remains on Good Landing and, and your staff and you and, and, and the clients is because you're providing an opportunity for individuals who are getting treatment to not only disconnect from their old associations, but newly connect to, in my opinion, what is the family of God. I mean, you guys don't make any apologies for being a, a Christ-based uh, recovery center. And so they may not even be aware of it, but the fact that they're coming to church, and some of them probably don't love being there, but they're coming, and but they're being exposed to the concept of what a healthy family looks like, and yeah. you guys are providing that. Amen. Amen. So earlier, you you kind of hit the highlights as you were talking about your book, figuring it out as you go. Yeah. And or figuring out as I go, right? Mm-hmm. And and so you hit the highlights of of your testimony. But w- would you just go ahead and just really walk us through, you know, what it was what it was like in detail? I know a little bit. You know, I think there was a guy that witnessed to you, yeah, and just kind of give us that story. Yeah, sure. Just hit the stopwatch if I go too long, because I mean, nope. you get me bragging on Jesus and talking about what He's done for me. So, I was your typical Bible Belt kid. I was raised in church up until the time my parents divorced. When my mom left, um, the church we were at kind of kicked my dad to the curb. My dad was a deacon, and they didn't want any divorced deacon, and so it really hurt my dad. And so he pulled us out of church, and I went to church with some neighbors while, uh, you know, on the weekends they would tote me to church. And eventually I made a profession of faith in Jesus. I did what a lot of Southern kids were taught to do. It's ask Jesus into your heart, and you'll go to heaven when you die. And to that degree, I felt like I was sincere. I, I, I knew the gospel story, but There was no repentance in me, zero. And so I prayed a religious prayer, was told that I would go to heaven because I got baptized, water baptized. And that was kind of it. It was kind of what kids did in the South in the 1970s. And so that's what I did. And around the age of 14, I think the seeds of bitterness that were in my heart for my mom abandoning me uh, began to spring up. And I just kind of had my fill of religion, had my fill of authority, had my fill of people and God. And I just said, forget all this stuff. And so... Almost simultaneously, I entered into the lifestyle of the drugs, the alcohol, and all of the stuff that goes along with living that way as a teenager. And um, it it was fun at first, Trey. I'm not going to lie, man. There was a thrill. There was an adrenaline rush. I felt free. I felt like I'm taking charge of my own destiny. It was total deception because what was happening is I was being fitted for chains. I mean, the enemy was fitting me for chains, and I felt like I was you know, experiencing the rush of freedom. Well... Let me truncate the story a little bit. From age 14 to age 24, it went from first time drinking alcohol, then smoking marijuana, then dosing LSD to going to church on LSD. If you're really interested in getting the book, there is a chapter in there where I talk about bottoming out is the time I went to youth group on acid. And there's some humor to it, but ultimately it's not that funny of a story, but it shows God's mercy. But then moving into the really, in my late teen years and in my early 20s, the harder drugs, primarily uh, cocaine and ecstasy, and that became such a part of my life. 
And in my opinion, for me at that time, the cocaine was driving me mentally insane. I was literally uh, hallucinating regularly. And so all of that darkness is attached to demonic activity. It's not just mental health. It's not just physically bad for you. There's a lot of darkness and demonic activity. And um, it was filling my life. I would, looking back, I would say there's no doubt I was demonized completely at that time while still functioning, holding down a job, going to work every day, you know, passing as a decent citizen. Uh, got locked up a few times, of course, but nothing major. And finally, this guy at work, um, his name was Scott. And Scott took an interest in me. Scott was a bivocational youth pastor. It meant he worked at our company during the week, and he served as the youth pastor of his church. He was a Southern Baptist flaming evangelist, like turn or burn. (laughs) And the first day where I showed up in his department to start my new job in his department, he within 20 minutes, he was asking me if I was a Christian. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm from the South, aren't I? You know, of course I'm a Christian. And he's like, praise God, hallelujah, awesome, brother, praise God. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I ain't that type of Christian. And so he, he made me his evangelistic bullseye. Scott, Scott decided at that time, I'm going to win this guy to Jesus. And for two years, he bombarded me with the gospel. He would call me out. I'd come in hungover. I'd come in strung out. I'd come in broke. I'd come in complaining about being depressed. And he would get me alone, and he'd preach dozens and dozens of 10 to 15-minute sermons to me. And most all of them were like, hey, Jeff, the reason why you're sad is because you're you're without Christ. And I was like, no, I prayed that prayer. He's like, yeah, I know, and that prayer meant nothing, Jeff. Look at your life. So after two years, um, I was leaving work one day. He he had moved to day shift. I was on night shift. So I was getting off, and he was coming in, and I was just at rock bottom. I had had overdosed the week week before, weekend before, just a couple days. I had, had a really bad experience. And so I was really tender and vulnerable. I said, Scott, I'm going to go to church with you this Sunday, because he had been asking me to go to church for years. And he, he, he literally looked me in the eye and slammed his Bible down on the desk, and he stuck his bony finger in my face. And he said, I mean, I was 24. He was 22. We were kids. I mean, we were young. And he stuck his finger in my face. He goes, boy, you don't need to go to church with me. And that shocked me, because I thought the goal, his goal was to get me in church. He said, you don't need to go to church with me. He goes, you need to go home right now, fall on your face, and ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. And so I got in my little truck, and I promise you, Trey, my hands were shaking. I mean, I look back now, it was the fear of the Lord. And I walked into apartment 112 of Sweetwater Road um, in Lawrenceville, Georgia, and I fell down on my face, and I said, God, I have ruined my life. But that preacher told me that you would save me. I don't care if you save me or if you kill me but I'm done running from you. Here's my life. That was the prayer. It was the most irreligious, just contorted prayer that you could, it was nothing overly spiritual about it. But God took that broken moment and that's the day he delivered me. I never did another drug after that. I never got drunk after that. And literally my life changed that day. And it was not because I became religious. It was not because I decided I'd be a good boy. It's because I I confessed to God that I couldn't make it without him anymore. And so I was radically changed. Many things began to happen. Four months later, I was called to preach. The Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart on a Wednesday night, and I just knew the Lord's purpose for my life was to preach the gospel. So I began to do that in, in homeless shelters, in the prisons, wherever they would turn me loose. And then uh, about uh, three years later, my pastor brought me on to do evangelism at our church, 
And from there, I became the associate pastor. And then when he resigned, I became lead pastor of what was then called Meadow Baptist Church in 2002. I mean, fundamental independent Baptist church. We weren't playing around. I mean, we were like hardcore about standards and traditions and everything. And I think God used that kind of church to bring me out of legalism. I needed that pendulum to go to the other side. And so what happened is when I became the pastor of that church, and again, it was a denominationally Baptist church and good, loving people, awesome people, love them to this day, but they didn't really believe much about the workings of the Holy Spirit. And just a few months after I was saved, I was sitting in my office. Uh, I'm not after I was saved, after I was installed to be the pastor. I was sitting in my office at the church, and I was just starting my prayer day. And on that morning, the Holy Spirit moved into my office in a way that I had never had happen before. All of this is in the book, by the way. I don't need to give it all on the air. But this, the Lord moved upon me in a way that I had never experienced. I had never been around anything like that before, but I knew the Holy Spirit had done something in me that would change me forever. And so um, that really shook up my ministry. And for the next several years, my quest became to be a biblical Christian, not a denominational Christian, not a Southern Christian, not a play-it-safe Christian, but what does it look like to be a biblical follower of Jesus? And I'm still on that journey today. And what I can say is this, is that Uh, It was an awesome miracle for the Lord to deliver me out of my rebellion, but it was a second miracle for the Lord to deliver me out of my religion. And so whether uh, a rebellious sinner or a religious sinner, what I needed was to be fully released. And I think that's what uh, God wants for all of us. He wants to release us into the fullness of freedom that is only found in Jesus so we can become the people that he's ordained us to be. And so I'm walking that out right now on the back end of cancer, on the back end of addiction, on the back end of abandonment, depression, being in, you know, jail a few times, being in treatment centers and detox centers a few times, and um, really fumbling and messing up my life for the better part of a decade. The the byline of my story is there's no case that's too tough for Jesus to handle. And if we invite him in, he will bring redemption and he'll bring restoration. Wow. Powerful. So what what exactly, so when the Holy Spirit moved on you in your office, like what exactly happened? Okay, well, you asked me. <laughs> I'll share it with you. So again, I, I, I'd been in a, a world of a denomination that loves the Lord, loves Jesus, maximizes the gospel, but really the Holy Spirit was never talked about. And so I'd, I'd never been around anything that I would now call charismatic, charismatic Christianity. I'd just never been exposed to that. There was one time when I was a boy that my mom took me to a church that the people were praying in tongues, and it was very weird to me and scared me, to be honest with you. So my only exposure to charismatic Christianity was that one incident uh, when I was probably 10 years old. So I, I sat in my office and February of 03, that's when this would have been, February of 03, just four months after I became the pastor of Meadow Independent Fundamental Baptist Church. And I'm praying in English, and I've got my Bible open, I've got my tie buttoned, or, you know, knotted around my throat. Good, I was a good Baptist kid, man, and young pastor, happy to be preaching the Word, and, you know, and so I've got the Word open, I'm praying through my prayer list, I'm confessing my sin, I'm telling the Lord here, Bless the missionaries and take care of my wife. And I had a daughter at that point. My son wasn't born yet. And all of a sudden, I just began to experience inside of me joy. And I'm an intense guy. Joy is not really like the overflowing attribute that people associate with Jeff Lyle. It doesn't mean I don't have joy, but, you know, 
I used to say I walk in the room and fun leaves because of the intensity that I carry. So joy began to stir inside of me at this high level, and it caught me by surprise, but I loved it. And as I'm praying in English, my English language, my native tongue, turned into sounds coming out of my mouth that were clearly nothing I'd ever spoken and I didn't understand. And I felt the joy of Jesus. I felt good, but then my religious instincts kicked in because we were trained that if anybody's praying in tongues or speaking in tongues, it's the devil. And so all of a sudden, my my religious instincts kicked in. I literally clamped my hands over my mouth and said, sorry, God. (laughs) Literally, that was my first response to speaking in tongues. So I got my bearings back and I said, okay, um, I'm just going to discipline myself and pray in English again within... 60 seconds, I began to pray in the Spirit again. Now, at that time, I didn't know what to make of any of this. I had no charismatic friends. Nobody, had, There were no classes on speaking in tongues. I, did, I didn't know what had happened to me, but I couldn't deny that something had occurred. But it, it honestly, it kind of flipped me out. So I just stopped praying that day. I was like, well, that's enough of that. The next morning, I come into my office, same time, early in the morning, 5.30, 6 a.m., and I'm like, oh, Lord, here we go again. And I sat down with my Bible, praying in English, same wash, rinse, repeat, same exact thing happened. Joy started flowing in my belly, like literally in my body. And immediately I began to pray in tongues again, probably within a couple of minutes of sitting down to pray. And I trade that this is probably the biggest, not the biggest regret, but one of the greatest regrets I've had as a Christian. The second time that the, the ability to pray in tongues found me that day. I knew it was the Lord. I knew it was nothing of the devil. I knew that God's joy was filling me and that this was something the Lord was wanting to do in my life. And I literally stopped. I quenched the Holy Spirit. And I said, Lord, I can't do this. I'm a Baptist pastor, and it'll kill the church. And I quenched the Spirit, and for three years, about two and a half years, actually, I never prayed in tongues again. And it wasn't until I hit rock bottom in ministry, I got in way over my head, challenges, the church was booming, things were going great. And uh, it wasn't until I came to a fresh surrender that the Lord, I told the Lord, whatever you want me to do, you want me to swing from the chandeliers, I'll swing from the chandeliers. You want me to run around the building, I'll do it. But Lord, I'm not going to hold back on you anymore. My life belongs to you. And that was the day that tongues returned to my life. That was about 2005. And it's been a part of my life ever since. And so I'm a word and spirit guy. I believe in the authority of the scriptures. I preach the scriptures. I have no real appetite for a Christianity that is um, independent of the word of God. But at the same time, I never want to do life without the Holy Spirit again. We must have the spirit. So good. And the reason I wanted to, to drill there is that I believe that there's so many people that whether they're sitting in a church or they're sitting at home and they're thinking there's so much more to this God thing than what I've been experiencing and they're scared of it um, or th- there's just this this hunger on the inside that just says, man, there, I know there's more. And um, you know, you're, you're not somebody like I, I know you and, and you're not somebody that runs around, you know, trying to be weird for the sake of being weird. Right. You know, you're the shock value guy or, or anything like that. And, and I know there's a lot, a lot of people that just are just saying, man, I, I, I know that there's more, but 
you know, what, you know, should I expect something? Or does that mean that I'm getting ready to have to, you know, just become, you know, you know, hanging off the chandelier just for the sake of it. And there's, uh, you know, all all of that type of stuff. And I know there's just a level of like, you know, if you want God, you're going to have to check your, you know, you know, maybe not necessarily like check your dignity, but there'll be things that will offend the flesh. Definitely. And so, um, can, know, I, can I tell you what I did as a precursor up to that experience I described? Yeah. So again, I've always wanted all that the Lord has for me. I never asked God for any spiritual gift. I believed in spiritual gifts theologically before I ever experienced that um, that immersion, that baptism in the Spirit and speaking in tongues in my office. But for about a year prior to that experience, I had been praying, Lord, Give me everything you have for me and protect me from that which you don't have for me. And so my prayer for probably a year, and I meant it, and it came, interestingly enough, through a connection that I made. I was doing some chaplain work, and I was 32 at the time, and there was an African-American woman whose name was Deborah. She was 50 years old, and I would see her at this place where I was doing chaplain work. And she used to, she was full-blown charismatic, sweet, but filled with scripture, and it it busted my paradigm because I had been told, oh, the charismatics, they don't like the Bible. And, you know, they, they don't ever use the scriptures. And so when I found out she was a charismatic and loved the Bible, I said, oh, this is interesting. And she had joy and love and peace. She had all the fruit of the Spirit in her life. And she would just tell me, Jeff, the Lord has marked you. And one of these days, you're going to encounter his Spirit in a way that's going to rattle you. And I'd be like, well, bless God, I've got the Spirit. I don't need any kind of talk like that. You know, I was really <laughs> proud about it and not really open to it. But she, she won me with love, and she said, why don't you just start asking the Lord to give you everything that he's got for you? And so that's what I did. And so for the people you were, you were talking about, the people are saying, I want more, but I don't want all the crazy lunacy stuff. I do think we have to be fully surrendered, but I don't think God's primary calling is for us to be weird for Jesus. Mm-hmm. I just don't. And so I want everything he has for me, and that's the safest prayer for your audience. Your audience, if they want more, Pray for God to give them everything that he has for them and keep praying it until they know he's done something new in their lives. That's so good. I'm excited. This has been an incredible session. I want it to keep going. Definitely have to do this again. I appreciate you letting me come on, man. It's an honor. It's an honor. Check out his book, Figuring It Out As I Go. Hey, they can get that at jefflyle.com. If they'll go to jefflyle.com, or they can get it off of Amazon. They can just get it off of Amazon, or they can get it at Audible. And I encourage them to get it. It's got some really strong teaching in it, too, and I think it'd be a blessing to anybody that would read it. Awesome. I think we're getting ready to get it for everybody at Good Landing. Sweet. So I'm excited about that. It's just powerful, you know, and I, I just think, you know, just as you were sharing and, you know, and as, as the Lord delivered you and, and how many people, you know, you talked about the, the paranoia and losing your mind while you were addicted to cocaine. I was like that whenever I was under the influence of meth. And when you're a family member and you're watching your loved one get to that that place in their life of just absolute desperation and really hopelessness you're looking you're just thinking man they are clinically insane and that god could touch you and then use you in the way that he uses you now your mind is clear you got the best vocabulary of anybody i know i feel like a third grader when i'm hanging out with you (laughs) but to know that he's able to restore you at that level and use you at that level it's just awesome man thank you so much for coming on today well it's an honor and i'm just i'm so proud of what god has done through glr through good landing recovery and i feel like 
the story is still being written and I can't wait to just see what the next chapter holds for you guys. Thanks for having me. Amen. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Jeff Lau, y'all. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.